All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining A Case of the Mondays, part of the Tennessee Holler News Network here in Tennessee. We are glad to uh, be coming with you live today with retired Lieutenant General John Glad Castleaw of the United States Marine Corps. How are you doing, Glad? Thanks for joining me. Hey, you know, I'm having a great Monday. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have to get some better branding, I think, because Mondays usually aren't that great. We'll definitely get some more upbeat music, I think. Good. So we're going to talk a little bit about last week. Uh, this is uh, last week on Monday. Uh, the president-elect announced some foreign policy positions to his cabinet. As we spoke earlier, uh, the job of uh, the incoming administration is going to have to uh, replace some of the brain drain that's occurred over the last four years. And uh, this week, they'll be doing that with domestic uh, cabinet picks. But this week, we're going to talk about the defense cabinet, the transition for the administration, and uh your thoughts on the assassination of uh, an Iranian nuclear scientist and what challenges that poses for the president-elect. But first of all, uh, being in the military, you have a front row seat of how uh, the military can provide humanitarian assistance. You led humanitarian operations in Africa, Asia, and many other parts of the world. Uh, how does the military interact with our Department of State President-elect uh, Biden announced Anthony Blinken, a former Obama deputy secretary of state, as uh, the incoming secretary of state, replacing Mike Pompeo and Rex Tillerson before him. How does uh, the Department of State work? How does it interact with our military? How does soft, soft power complement our work around the world? Well, it's easy to say, you know, the Department of Defense and Department of State have a long uh, teaming relationship. You know, I worked in uh, the U.S. European Command in Stuttgart, Germany, and I worked uh, uh, in the U.S. Central Command, uh, also uh, next door to the Pacific Command. And, you know, at each one of those locations, you've got uh, diplomatic representation. You've got an ambassador, usually, that's had a lot of experience and so he's right there when the uh, uh, commander uh, of that particular uh, geographical uh, kingdom uh, makes decisions and gives inputs. Plus, you know, <laughs> I, uh, when I led uh, U.S. forces in East Timor as we were part of a 27-nation uh, team that went in to restore peace and stability, uh, I work closely with the U.S. ambassador uh, to uh, Australia and the U.S. ambassador to Indonesia, uh, and also uh, people like Ambassador Holbrook, one of the worst, uh, and I hate to use the word, but it's more descriptive, Ashtuans I ever got in my life was from Holbrook in Dilly, uh, East Timor, because he didn't think we got out enough uh, with the people. Uh, so the, the relationship between the uh, Department of State and the Department of Defense uh, has been, I, th I would say, close and uh, a good working relationship. Uh, you know, what the, the state brings to you is, uh, is diplomacy, which is an element of national power. You know, people talk about soft power, but, uh, you know, I talk about national power. And when you talk about national power, you got diplomatic, economic, cultural, and military. Okay. And they all work together and they may, in relationship to each other change in the ratio, but it's all about uh, 
taking a national power, unifying it, coordinating it, and uh, leading it on so that you can achieve what our national objectives are. Right. And those national objectives were being achieved in the first Obama administration. There was a surge in foreign service officers that were being hired at the State Department. That number has atrophied as more foreign service officers and senior foreign officers uh, have been uh, retiring or quitting on the job under the, the previous two secretaries of state. So how do we expect the incoming administration to look at uh, the diplomatic corps going forward? What is our, our national character going forward? Well, yeah, the new, uh, uh, you know, sec def or sec state uh, designee and, and uh, a lot of the uh, others that are uh, being brought to bear have great experience. Uh, and uh, they've already started talking about how they're going to restore uh, the Department of State uh, to reestablish, you know, the morale, uh, uh, to place the importance on the state that should be. Uh, so I think I'm, you know, we're looking with uh, great optimism at a sort of a rebirth of, uh, of the State Department. And it's not about bringing or going back to how it used to be. Uh, it's about how do we take what's happened in the last few years. This is an opportunity uh, to remake the, the State Department uh, uh, and have it where it can be most effective against how the environment is now, you know? So, you know, I, I think that's what's gonna happen. You're gonna see a resurge uh, in the uh, people that are gonna flow in the Department of State because it's gonna be a place to be, to make a difference in the, in the world and for the United States. Right. In my vast experience of watching spy movies and war movies, what I do know is exactly what you said. You can't change the environment that you come into. And so the Biden administration is now coming into an environment that they can't control with Iran in particular and the alleged assassination by Israel of a, of a nuclear scientist. So what do you expect the Biden administration's position will be uh, will they try to negotiate a, a new nuclear deal with Iran? Will there be close alliances with Israel uh, and so forth? What do you expect to happen on that front? Well, I uh, had the great opportunity. You, you talk about uh, Department of State uh, people and uh, their dedication to the job. Uh, I uh, was involved with a couple of organizations, uh, the Nuclear Security Working Group, uh, and the Iran Futures Group, uh, which were uh, operating out of uh, George Washington uh, University, the Elliott School of Diplomacy. And I was flying wing on a great lady, uh, Dr. Jan Nolan, uh, who has had great experience uh, working uh, with the diplomatic community, working in uh, nuclear policy, uh, working uh, uh, in policies uh, that to, uh, you know, support the security of this great nation of ours. And I had the opportunity uh, to go in and talk to a bunch of senators and uh, about uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JICPOA, which is commonly called the Iran Agreement. And, you know, what we had was not a perfect document. Very few documents are ever perfect. But it was certainly, by all accounts, was having an impact on delaying Iran developing a nuclear weapon. And that's what we're talking about here. I mean, we do not want Iran 
to have a nuclear weapon. Iran is a foe. It's not a friend of ours. It is uh, supporting uh, organizations, some state, some not state, with advanced technology to kill Americans and others of our allies. Uh, so it's not that we're trying to to give them a good deal or uh, to uh, uh, accommodate them. What we are, uh, what we created the Jikpoa for was to support our national interest, our objectives. And so what we're seeing now with some of the assassinations, uh, with the sanctions, some of the actions that are being taken is narrowing the paths available to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. It seems that this administration is intent on leaving only one path available to the Biden administration, and that's a path to war. And we do not want to take that path. And I don't think those other nations in the uh, Middle East that would be impacted want to either, nor our allies in Europe or Asia. Uh, so it's unfortunate that uh, when the Biden administration comes in, that they may find that their options are greatly narrowed. And it's gonna be a challenge on how to continue ahead and avoid a war that I don't think anybody wants. Right, and, and shifting from the Middle East uh, a little further east to Asia, where you also have experience as Chief of Staff to US Central Command uh, at the height of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but going even further than that in North Korea, has the Trump administration's relationship with Kim Jong-un been healthy or productive? Is it something that a Biden administration can even continue? Well, you know, I actually I've been going to uh, the Western Pacific and East Asia since I was a second lieutenant. My first operational command was as a platoon commander in the third Marine division operating out of Okinawa. And my job there was to train 49 hard charging Marines to operate uh, amphibious vehicles. And when the horn blew to go uh, to the Korean peninsula first to stop the North Koreans coming South and then to roll them back. I came back in the next decade as an aviator uh, with the same mission take my aircraft uh, to the peninsula and to uh, fight the North Koreans. And then, you know, the third decade and the fourth decade, I came back, I was a general officer and uh, I spent a lot of time preparing to go to Seoul and start evacuating 125,000 people. Uh, when you look at uh, the difference uh, between the South Koreans and the North Koreans, you have South Korea, which is a democracy and it's, got a very vibrant uh, economy. And then one of the things I also had to do was go up and expect, inspect the uh, positions along the demilitarized zone and Panmunjom. And you stand in the positions on the south and you look to the north and it's devastation. They've cut down all the trees, all the grass is grown. And you know from Intel reports what's going on. And this year is going to be an especially bad one because North Koreans and addition to dealing with uh, the normal uh, lack of food and uh, other sustainment, uh, got a pandemic going on. Uh, 
and over all these years that you know that I've been going there, it's been the same routine. You know, the the North Korean leadership will wax uh, to hold out the you know the carrot, and then uh, when we try to take it, then they bring the stick in. You know, they'll have nuclear tests or they'll launch missiles and so forth. The only priority that the North Koreans have is to maintain uh, the family in power. And uh, they know that uh, what makes them special right now is having nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction. And it's hard to believe that they're going to give them up. So what's going to happen, I think, with the Biden administration, they're going to come in, they're going to restore, you know, the relationships and uh, that we have with the South Koreans and with the North, with the um, uh, Japanese and other countries in that area. And we're going to build up the relationship again. And we're going to do the best we can to contain the uh, North Koreans until something uh, breaks. And whether that's next year or 10 years or 20 years, uh, you know, that's what we will continue to have to do. So over those 30 or 40 years that you were active in that area, the, the 60 plus years since the Korean War, um, it, it, it seems like the only leverage that we have been able to build up are those multilateral relationships with, with neighboring countries. But it seems like the Trump administration simply tried to, or rather President Trump himself thought that he alone would produce more leverage than all of those relationships with neighboring countries. Is that, is that an accurate assessment of the last uh, you know, I don't think anybody can be a, a buddy with the North Korean leadership. Uh, what they're uh, focused on, as I said, is staying in power. Uh, they'll use uh, that kind of relationship for their own uh, measures. And they have, you know, uh, you know, they burned down one of the buildings at Penman, John. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, good boys for a little while. And then uh, then they turn into the bad boys that they uh, really are. And the key eventually on uh, what happens with the North Koreans is China. Uh, the North Koreans depend on China for their support. And uh, when China decides it's time that, uh, that they've had enough and the world has had enough, uh, then they can apply the pressure that will make a difference uh, with North Korea. Yeah. And so, um, President-elect Biden has has named Jake Sullivan, a former uh, Barack Obama appointee, to be the national security advisor. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, uh, I think, surpassed Pete Buttigieg as a potential nominee to the UN, as ambassador to the UN. Uh, and then I think most interestingly, and something that you can speak to, because in addition to your lengthy resume, uh, you serve on the board of the Center for uh, Climate Security, and uh, and John Kerry, former Secretary of State, is going to be a special envoy for climate. What do you think this means for the fight against climate change and for everyday Americans even understanding the importance of the link between climate and national security? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I don't think we all understand is the various roles that that uh, that we can play in national security and and not be in uniform or not be a, a diplomat, not uh, uh, have a, a particular uh, uh, government role. Uh, and one of those areas is, is taking action 
uh, that will reduce uh, uh, greenhouse gases. It will reduce the impact. You know, just this morning you saw that uh, again. You know, they're, they're rethinking uh, the number of uh, names for uh, hurricanes because uh, of the records we've set. We know they're getting more intense. The numbers are increasing. Uh, so the impact is there. So how can we uh, encourage our fellow Americans to do that? You know, putting somebody like John Kelly with his, or, or uh, John Kerry with his uh, statue is a good way to do it, to, to show the emphasis, you know, at the cabinet level. Uh, and also it falls to us. You know, one of the things that we're, we can do right here in Tennessee, and it can start here in in the rural areas of Tennessee is with how we farm. And we're starting to see a lot of farmers adopt uh, conservation measures uh, that reduce the amount of carbon that's uh, released from the soil to the atmosphere uh, by conservation tillage, uh, minimum tillage, reduced tillage, by using cover crops, uh, by using the rotations. And what that's going to be able to do is it you know, soil is the biggest sink where we can put that kind of stuff. And so uh, by encouraging policies, and I think Kerry and and uh, who the, is going to be brought in at the USDA uh, do that, uh, then that is a, uh, a battalion or division or whatever uh, that we can use to, uh, uh, to fight uh, climate change and to reduce the impact it's having on us. Uh, this serious business, I mean, you know, the Center for Climate uh, that, that I'm with uh, and security, uh, some great studies. We did one on uh, what's happening with our installations on the East Coast. You know, Norfolk is sinking. Uh, the uh, water uh, level of the oceans are rising. Uh, we're pulling water out of the ground, so the ground is subsiding. And so we have a multi-billion dollar a uh, set of installations at Norfolk that are under uh, risk uh, because of that. And, uh, and that's here in the United States. The other element of that and why we need to be forward and why we need to have those relationships with others is, for instance, I spent a lot of time in uh, Western Africa, Lake Chad Basin. And what we're seeing there right now is with uh, the Sahara coming south a mile a year, uh, with the drought increasing, is that you're driving the herdsmen south into the uh, farmers area, you're driving the uh, fishermen off the uh, Lake Chad as the water recedes, and you're setting up conflict between those three elements that is being uh, uh, used by uh, uh, terrorist groups uh, as sources of funding and to create chaos. Uh, so I am very happy to see uh, the emphasis that the new administration seems to be putting on on uh, fighting climate change. So for the Tennessee farmer who is working to reduce his or her carbon emissions, that has effects all around the world. But at the end of the day, it could help reduce conflicts where that farmer's son or daughter could be deployed in the next 18 years. Yeah, you know, I've, I've said it many times. The most valuable treasure that we have as Americans have is the blood of the men and women who serve in the military. We need to make these long-term investments 
that we have been reluctant to do in foreign assistance and diplomats and economic support for other areas and forward presence that will start solving those issues before they get down to the point where we have to make that decision to put that blood at risk. Very well said. And I should also add that your expertise is not only militarily, but you received a degree from UT Martin in agriculture and a commission in the United States Marine Corps. I also note you played freshman basketball, and it seems to have all gone downhill since then. A distinguished 36-year military career that took you all over the world. Uh, but now you're, you're back in West Tennessee uh, working on agriculture issues. So is there a way that the incoming uh, USDA and, and even the Tennessee Department of Agriculture can help support farmers as they pursue uh, mitigating measures uh, for climate change? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that uh, ag policies need to reflect uh, support for, uh, for those practices. Uh, we already have the NRCS, uh, uh, which is the Conservation Service, uh, supporting elements like that. Uh, we need other uh, policies in USDA uh, to go even further. Uh, so, you know, what the soil is all about, and, you know, my family came into North Carolina 300 years ago, and they moved to Tennessee uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And so we've been farmers for 300 years, and all of us, from father to son, have been passed that we're stewards of the land and we've got to take care of it. Uh, so it's not just about uh, you know pushing down all the trees and uh, and tearing up the soil and uh, pouring fertilizer in it. It's also you know how do we uh, have regenerative agriculture that not only produces the food and fiber that we need but at the same time maintains that land, increases its value, increases the amount of uh, organic matter it has, increases the amount of carbon it has in order to uh, pull it out of the atmosphere uh, so that we have this for future generations. So I am optimistic that whoever is the next Secretary of Agriculture and those that he works for him uh, will produce policies that will support that. Indeed. And that's a good note to end on. As we look to this week, there should be more domestic cabinet picks uh, from the, Bi the Biden administration. And we look forward to hearing from them. As for now, Lieutenant General Glad Castlewell, thank you so much for joining us on A Case of the Mondays.